This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person, or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. So this message is called Second Wind, and I'm not sure how many of you have ever uh, run. Uh, Usually it's long distance running, uh, so I know that all of you have run, but how many of you have run longer distances? You know, I would like to say like a marathon level, but there's a certain phenomenon that can take place, and it's hard to even explain. It's called a second wind. And if you've ever experienced it, it's one of those things that almost feels like a miracle is taking place inside of you because your body was ready to give way uh, to the difficulty, like I can't keep going like this, and then something kicks in. It's like this extra boost, you know, in one of those movies where they turn on the boosters and you wonder why they didn't have those boosters on the whole time. Have you ever had that thought? And one of those, if I had those boosters, why didn't I start with those boosters on? But there's always a button like extra boost and the car takes off or the ship takes off. And it's almost like that, but it's internally in the makeup of the human body. In the makeup of the supernatural, the spiritual body, I would like to propose that maybe the same thing exists. And boy, do we need it, especially when we're starting to flag and we're starting to grow dim and weary in our, in our pursuits of Jesus, in our living for Christ in the midst of a dying age and generation. So, Second wind. I, I think even the picture is rather telling. It's, that's what it feels like as a Christian. You're running, and you're running, and you're running, and you're in a desert. I mean, doesn't that feel like it at times? It's just like, how long until we get to water? How long until this desert season ends? And the challenge for the runner is sometimes you don't have that clear gauge. You can't see over the horizon. You don't know exactly how long it is. And it harkens back to a, a season in my life when I was training at a very high level. I was uh, training for college soccer, and all I remember is this is in the days where you get letters, you don't get emails. And uh, we got a letter, I got a letter from the, the coach. And this was a very high level team, and uh, it, was, it had a reputation to uphold, and it was willing to allow me to participate as a freshman. I still had to make the cut, and there was only going to be uh, like 28 uh, men chosen for the team, and there was going to be a lot of men trying out, and they were all good. And so I took it very seriously. If you know Eric Lude, you could just imagine what that summer before was like. It was total discipline. And I was getting up at the same time every day. I was running a certain point, and I was running mountains. I'm in Colorado, right? So I'm running Chautauqua Park. I run up, I run down. And I was in shape, but I had to be in shape. We had to run seven miles on the first day we arrived in under 42 minutes. And if we didn't make it, we were cut. That was what the letter said. It's like, okay. And I was doing the math on that. If you do the math in your head on that, I mean, my best mile up to that point was 550. And that was pretty impressive. And 
okay, that, that's impossible. That's <laughs> what's going through my head. But it's like, hey, uh, if this is what it takes, I'm going to go after it. And if you ask me if I could run seven miles in 42 minutes at that time, I don't remember. But I do remember the first day of soccer. And I remember uh, even having it described. It's like, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. And the first half went downhill, three and a half miles. And the second half went uphill. And so the second half was all uphill, and you need to average under six-minute miles. And so when we were making the turn, you know, I was making good time on the way downhill, as you could probably guess. And then I'm very mathematical, too. But there was a certain point when I began to realize there is no way I can do this. And there weren't that many people in front of me, maybe three uh, in front of me. And I had another guy who was a senior that was running, and I was trying to stay up with him. And... I, I was starting to lose heart because he was like, yeah, we have you know, one minute. And I, I didn't know how far away we were, but I knew we weren't close. And I still remember his alarm going off on his wrist. And that was the 42-minute mark. And of course, I did have it going through my head. There's no way that the team is going to have three people on it. However, I felt like dying. I did. It was so hard. And that, that, that depletion of the physical body when you are an athlete is a very, very real thing, but especially when you have that sense of hopelessness. Now, to, you know, to finish the story, because that's not really what my message is about, I did finish, I don't know, somewhere around 44 minutes, and uh, I came in and I was rather dejected because I'm thinking I'm going to get cut, even though I was trying to reason through that that doesn't make any sense. And he made me the cutoff point, I think I came in fourth or fifth. And everyone else had to get up early the next morning and run sand hills, uh, like all day, uh, if they wanted to be on the team. I was like, well, that's a little misleading uh, in the beginning. Cutting and having to run sand hills are very different. I would have probably handled my summer a little different. But it is a difficult thing to be an athlete, but it's also a very difficult thing to be a spiritual athlete. And there are points along the way where you feel the dee 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 going off, the alarm going off, and you're like, I can't make this. Have you ever said that to yourself, I can't keep going? First of all, I would say if there was one phrase you should probably remove from your language, your dialect, it's that phrase, because it's an incorrect statement. You have signed up for something known as Christianity, and at every juncture, God grants grace for you to finish the race. If you trust your God, you will actually cross the finish line. It's a guarantee, which means you can keep going, you will keep going. It's just that your humanity is screaming the opposite message. And you need to, in those moments, believe the word of God and not your screaming humanity. So what is second wind? It's a debatable point, but uh, in the most basic sense, here it is. Second wind is a phenomenon experienced in distance running, whereby a runner who is totally out of breath and hardly able to continue suddenly experiences a resurgence of energy and is able to press on at peak performance. And if you've ever felt it, it is truly <laughs> a, a very unique feeling because you actually feel stronger than when you started. And you were just about to die. And now suddenly you just have this infusion, it's like of extra energy, of extra oxygen. I, you know, what is it? What's going on inside of my body? The second wind phenomenon. No one is really sure where it comes from. Don't you love it in science where, you know, they're like, well, I think it's this. They actually don't know what causes this phenomenon, which I think is very interesting. But there's a couple theories. 
So option number one, the tipping scale theory. In other words, when you're starting, your body is arguing against the movement of running. And so this thing called lactic acid is beginning to overcome your body, which is why you are feeling like you can't keep going. It's a very uncomfortable feeling through the body, and your body is complaining. However, what offsets lactic acid is something known as oxygen, which is, of course, at a rare level and degree when you are running. In other words, that's what you're trying to get more of, right? And as a result, it seems like the lactic acid is winning, but at a certain point, the body is attempting to regulate and overcome the lactic acid. And so one of the theories is that the oxygen overcomes and the, tail, the, the scales tip in favor of oxygen and the body responds by beginning to feel a new lease on life. Option number two, if you've ever heard of the runner's high, where endorphins are actually released in and through exercise, which I, I think I can testify to over the years, it was called an addiction to exercise. I loved it so much and no one ever told me that it was like a drug addiction. That wouldn't have translated very well. But I think it is a very real thing. If you're an athlete, you want to keep being an athlete because there is something that's so satisfying to you, you feel on top of the game. And so a runner's high, when a runner will finish, they will be flushed oftentimes with endorphins. And it's a, it, they make you feel good. They're like the happy uh, little drug uh, in the body. And so the physical exertion releases endorphins, lifting the spirits of the runner. I think that's a fascinating theory because maybe your body is beginning to fade away, but suddenly there's this euphoric flush through your body. It's like, ha, you know what? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm not sure. It could be a combination of both, but it isn't, isn't it interesting that we don't actually know what causes it? Some of you are thinking of going out running today, going, I'd like a little of that. The second wind phenomenon in the Christian life. We are very certain where it comes from. It's interesting because God himself is clarifying that he will give us this impetus when we run empty in our tank. That God says, that's when I come in. You see, if you are weak, then I am strong in you. We're actually very confident where the second wind comes from. Now, this is somewhat of a play on words. And if you know the scriptures and you know Christian history, then you're like, oh boy, Eric, that's sort of push it. I, I agree, but it is sort of fun to, to point at. And, you know, we call it a second wind, and we're calling it Acts chapter 2, the second chapter of Acts and the wind, see, the second wind. And that's ironically where the second wind comes from for the Christian. It's, it's Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Isn't it interesting that there's wind in the second chapter of Acts, and so we have a second wind in Scripture. But here's what's interesting. As a spiritual man, you need that second wind. If you try and work with natural human wind to run this race, you will flag and you will fail and you will not be able to finish this race. However, if you receive that second wind, which, you know, people could say, I don't know where the wind comes from. The wind just sort of goes where it wants to go and arrives when it wants to arrive. And yes, it is a mystery, but we do know what that wind is. It is God Almighty himself. And he desires to exert in and through the spiritual athlete to carry us forward when we are flagging. The need of the Christian, it is sort of a funny thought. You know, we talk about running this race. Uh, what do we do as Christians? We run and then run some more and then we need to keep running and running. 
it's just the truth. We are called to run, not to stop, not to sit on the side of the road, not to go back. We're called to continue, but it's called a race. And if you're a, an athlete, you understand that there needs to be a break here. I mean, you just can't keep running and running and running, and yet the spiritual life seems to be depicted that way which I think is on very much on purpose so that we recognize that we need something beyond human ability. We need that phenomenon known as the second wind. We need an enabling power to actually carry us when we begin to flag. Now, I sort of prepped you going into this that if you, if you look at last week's message and you look at this week's message, you might be able to understand a little of what's going on in Eric's life. And it's not that I am thinking of giving up on what I'm doing. It's just that there's a bait to tame my calling. Because, you know, there's probably an easier way of living this life. You know, when you're at almost the age of 52, you start resetting, maybe looking at things. It's like, okay, you know, I've been living at such a high speed and, uh, you know, is there a point in time when you begin to adjust that and you begin to coast a little? Is there a, is there a point in life where you just sort of reassess and you go, you know what, maybe I should put more priority on the creature comforts of life. Maybe I should, I could justify that by taking care of my kids and my, my wife in a different way. You know, it's like, hey, they need more of this. Whatever it is, okay, Here, here's the, the challenge that Eric has. I am coming to a place where God is getting down to the nitty-gritty of my life. He's like, what are you here for, son? I'm here for you. That's right. In other words, it's remembering what I'm here for, that I'm not here to live like everyone else on this earth. I'm here to actually live other than everyone else on this earth. It's called holy living. And that's what holy means, other than. I'm not supposed to look at the pattern of this world and say, like that. I'm supposed to look at the pattern of this world and say, unlike that. Lord, how do you want me to live? But to live that way for a long season, or for many seasons, or for a long stretch, demands many moments where your body begins to feel like it can't keep going at this rate. And that's when you need something from heaven as an impetus to keep you going. I have seen this many times in my spiritual journey where I have been revived and a new kick has entered into my step. I'm in a season like that right now where I'm saying, God, I want that fresh kick in my step. I'm going to keep running, but I feel like the lactic acid is really heavy in my body right now but I'm gonna keep running because I don't stop. However, I need you to give me a second wind. What do we need to pull this off? I'm assuming uh, there's something else in there with a question mark at the end of it. And the bottom of that is missing too. So uh, I, I do know the answer to my own question, but for whatever reason, can you guys reset it and like pull down the, the slide for whatever? Okay. Yeah, there it is. What do we need to pull this off with question marks? So there's still that missing uh, in it. But we need some classic things. Like if you were to just look at Scripture and it's talking about what the saints need to go the distance, typically it's going to be described as perseverance or endurance. However, perseverance and endurance, if you're just going, okay, that's what I want, 
isn't really a thing in and of itself. It's made up of its parts. It's sort of like I need a car. Well, a car involves a lot of parts. And so as a result, we're going to sort of unpack that. But in the big picture, we need perseverance. We need strength of soul or tensile strength. It's not muscular strength. It's the unbreakability of soul. That when we get to that point where we're gritting our teeth and we're running and lactic acid is flushing through our body and it feels so heavy to keep going, our legs feel like they are lead, that we keep moving. And that's a tensile strength of soul. You cannot be broken. And resilience, when you feel the weights, when you feel the challenges coming against you that you bounce back, that you do not allow that to keep you down. If you trip and you scrape your knee, you get right back up. You do not spend time moaning and groaning on the ground. We have a job to do. We have a race to run. And so I could give you that as the answer, and yet it's missing something practically for us because you all esteem that as the answer. You know that you want it in your life, but there is some make, there's some ingredients that make that up. So, and what else do we need? We need the AE mixture. See, don't you? That's classic Eric right there, isn't it? You know, that I give something like that, you're like, okay, is that what you're giving me? The AE mixture, that's what I need? Yes, that is what you need, but I need to build that out a little. So the AE mixture, to explain the ingredients of the AE mixture, we first need to explain the letters A and E. Now, I'm not going to teach you what A and E are in the alphabet, but they represent something. So the anti, let's see, I'm gonna say this correctly. Echikeo, see, I said it wrong for years of Ellerslie, and now I'm in a you know, reform season uh, on that. The anti, ek, now, see, I need to always pause. Echikeo, oh boy, uh, this is tough. Why do I pick words like this? The anti-echikeo mixture, we'll just go with that, okay? This, the potent stuff that ensures that the disabling, disheartening, disrupting, and depressing echikeo doesn't make its way to the human soul. It's like the anti-venom, okay? This echikeo is a venom. It is something that the enemy sponsors in our life to defeat us. It's that niggling, whispering voice that says, you can't keep going, which is why I'm saying, don't repeat it through your own mouth. I can't keep going, okay? That is not a scriptural concept. Oh, I know your body feels it, don't get me wrong. I know your circumstances may show it, don't get me wrong. I've been in so many moments when Ellerslie couldn't keep going. If you looked at it on paper, you'd say, yeah, Ellerslie can't keep going. We've had multiple businessmen that have told me that too. Ellerslie can't keep going. And yet the strangest thing happens when you don't listen to that voice. Ellerslie keeps going. We keep running, even though there have been times when we're like, I don't know if you could talk about it almost like you're running into the dirt and you're getting lower and lower, but we're still running. And then suddenly the music changes and the runner breaks through. Like, whoa, how'd that happen? Well, you see, it was supernatural. That's how it happened. You see, there was something functioning in that runner known as Ellerslie and it would not stop. It would not stop doing certain things. And when it kept that thing going, this AE mixture was happening inside of that runner, God always comes through and it proves faithful. And that runner keeps going even though the world doesn't really know how it worked. How did that second wind happen? 
So, ekekio. There we go. See, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my game on with this word. It's tough when you spent years in some of my best messages had this word pronounced wrong. Okay, it's tough. Ekekio. See, look at I'm starting to get my rhythm going. Ekekio. It means to give up. It's actually a verb. It's like a, a function that we participate in. We give up to lose heart, to be bankrupt of motivation, to be totally exhausted inwardly, to turn your back on the mission, to stop running. You see, you know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to run this race. So why would anyone stop? Well, it's funny because we could compare notes in here and we could come up with quite a list. There's a lot of reasons why we give up on things. You know, that one classic, you know, dad line, you know, like, you quit on this, you'll be a quitter for the rest of your life. And, you know, I don't want to ever paint someone up that if you quit once, you can never recover from that. That's a bad mentality because God is a redemptive God. However, what that dad is saying is still true, and that is that when you set a pattern of giving way to a keikyo, it's amazing how you apply that pattern in every other area of your life, too. This is a damning disease. This is a very, very dangerous thing for the soul. And so as a result, the attitude of the runner must not be touched by this. There needs to be an anti-venom to this, which is what the AE mixture is. And that's part of what I, that's basically my message, that I want to unpack for us, even though this is just a review message, this is just a revitalizing message, and maybe it's more for me than it is for anyone else. So I'm going to go through, and every time you see a bold uh, phrase with an underline, that's this verb, ekekio. Did I say that right? Ekekeo. 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 There it is. There it is. See, hear, hear that, guys? Some of you know how I used to pronounce it, and you're thinking of yelling that out just to uh, throw me off. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them that men, ought, men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So we see that lose heart is one of the ways that in the English language you could express this. And yet, I don't know if lose heart is the best way. I mean, one of the, the, the phrases for it is utterly lacking spirit. Like you, you have no spirit for something. You're like at a, a football game, there's spirits. It's like, go team. But when your team is losing 98 to nothing, the spirit of the crowd sort of is deflated. And that's the way it can feel in the spiritual life, but that's if you give way to it. You know that one fan out there that even if it's 98 to nothing, going, guys, we can still win this. You know, and everyone else is like, what, shut up. And yet that's what God's asking us to do, to, to have our pom-pom, those called pom-poms, uh, to have our pom-pom and wave it in the air and go, Jesus is still gonna win this. It doesn't matter how dark it looks. It doesn't make, it doesn't mean anything. If it looks in the natural realm like there is defeat, my God wins. And that attitude is essential to the victorious Christian. Here's another scripture. Most of these are Paul. In fact, I think all the rest of them are just Paul. 2 Corinthians 4.1, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. I was thinking about that scripture yesterday, walking around saying it to myself. Since we have this ministry, I was thinking of Ellerslie. So I have this ministry, and we have received mercy. Well, that's an understatement. So what is the conclusion? Well, we do not lose heart then. We will not give up. We will not say that we're done. We will keep pressing on. We do not give way to akakio. Did I say that correctly? Akakio. Yeah. See? You guys are starting to get it too. You, you, 
Little did you know, I could be mispronouncing it the whole time. You, you, you'd be duped. You need your Greek uh, dictionary with you as you go through this stuff. 2 Corinthians 4.16, same chapter. Later on, Paul is really in a rhythm here. We do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Isn't that an incredible statement of the runner? Our natural man is perishing, but the inward man, some, a phenomenon is taking place in here that is going to give us a fresh propulsion forward. The inner man is being renewed day by day. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not stop running. We do not give up. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary. So that grow weary is the same concept. So that's another way you could say it. It's growing weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now that lose heart is actually a derivative of our Greek word, ekekeo. There, yeah, ekekeo. I don't know why I keep looking at Philip as if he's somehow helping me. Uh, but if we do not lose heart, that's like to let loose our, our, our job. It's sort of like you're holding onto the reins of the chariot and suddenly like, I can't keep going, you just let the horses run. It's just like, I, I, I am not going to do this anymore. That's that second word for lose heart. And this is something that does not belong in the Christian experience or life. We do not participate in a letting go, a giving up mode. It doesn't fit us. Ephesians 3.13, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And one more. 2 Thessalonians 3.13, do not grow weary in doing good. So what we see in Scripture is a very, very clear statement. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that you cannot keep going. Have you ever heard the statement, I didn't sign up for this? Now, you've probably heard me say somewhere along the line that that is another very bad quote for the soul. Because technically, when you came to Jesus, what did you do? You signed up for what? Uh, picking up your cross and following him. I don't know if you've ever dug a little deeper into what it means to pick up your cross, but I have a hunch that this falls under the banner of it when you're denying yourself and following him. In other words, you have given up your life. And so yes, you did sign up for it, but he also signed up. It's like a covenant, it's an exchange, and he promised to never leave you and never forsake you. He will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That propulsion, that second wind will never depart. It will always be present when you need it. And when do you discover it most? When you're weak. You see, most runners never run long enough to discover a second wind. Isn't that an interesting phenomenon just in and of itself? Because there's some of us in here like, I have no idea what this second wind is. And very likely, if you were to think through your life, I could say, oh, have you ever been a long-distance runner? Well, you know, I've run around the neighborhood once. Yeah, but that's not quite what I'm talking about. And I don't even know, because it'd probably be a different measurement for every runner in here. And some people have said that an Olympic runner, an Olympic-level runner, doesn't experience the second wind anymore because they've regulated their oxygen levels to the degree that they don't need that. Well, I, I don't know. I've never been an Olympic runner to be able to testify uh, to that. However... This is something that every single one of us needs, but when do we usually discover it? At our extremity, to a place we don't usually want to go. Most of us don't want to run to our extremity. And as a result, we don't discover that second wind, that grace that God desires to impart. 
The bait for Ekekio. Ekekeo. Ekekeo. Okay, there we go. When even all Americans are faking injuries. So this is an Eric Ludi story. And I actually am very familiar with that voice to give up. I don't listen to that voice in the normal sense. And that isn't what I'm known for is just giving up. However, I know the voice, and that voice has attended me in different ways all throughout my life. And <clears throat> there are situations when I just want out of something. It's too hard. It's too heavy. It's too difficult. God, just give me an escape pod. And when I was in college, uh, same, same soccer team, that I have a lot of great experiences just from those few weeks of training camp uh, in college because it pressed my body way beyond my bo- the, the point that I ever pressed my body. You know, because in high school sports, I mean, they, yeah, I got in shape, and yes, it was hard, and yes, they ran us, and yes, it was difficult, and yes, there were moments where I was like, hey, we need to stop this, I can't keep going. But this was a whole new level of that. The burn, like if you've ever run sand hills straight up a hill, I mean, and then over and over and over without any clear end to the exercise, it psychologically wears on you. And I still remember one day, we, we were uh, practicing down. I don't know why we had moved from our soccer training area down to the football field, because this is football season two. Soccer and football uh, sort of overlap, and soccer players usually don't like football players. Football players don't like soccer players. Soccer players say that football players are you know wimps. Uh, football players look at soccer players as total idiots. You know, it's like, it's, it's an ongoing battle, right? So why we were on the football field, I have no idea, but that's still in my memory. We're on the football field, and the football field is measured off. You have the, you know, the back of the end zone, you have the end zone line, and then you have every five, uh, five yards are marked on a football field. You have the 50-yard marker, which is a little thicker line. And so I don't like to say the names of this exercise, but some of you know uh, what, what it's called, and I don't even think it needs to be repeated. Okay, It's a very dark sort of uh, name for an exercise, but when you do the exercise, you understand why it's dark. But you're supposed to sprint to the five-yard line, and then back to the, uh, well, you're supposed to sprint to the, the end zone line, and then back to the uh, back of the end zone, so the very edge of the field. Then you're supposed to sprint to the five-yard line, jog back, but your jog cannot be slow. It has to be a quick jog. And then to the 10-yard line, and back all the way. To the 15-yard line, back all the way. To the 20-yard line, you have to sprint when you sprint. If he catches you not sprinting, then, you know, it's more running which I don't know what that looks like, right? How do you have more running than this? So when we started to get through all of this, all the way 50, all back, 45, the other side, all the way to the other end zone, and then you make your way all the way back. That's one. And it takes a long time to do one of these. So one, if, if, if your coach just said, all right, do one. <laughs> okay, see, I'm not giving the name of it, but some of you know what it's called. Well, that's enough to defeat you mentally. It's like, okay, I'm going to do one of these. Our coach started out a practice, and he told us we're going to do 28 of these. Doing one or two is enough to kill you, okay? To do 28 is humanly impossible, and you would be in the middle of the night still working on them. And all of us were not allowed to talk back. No one was allowed to say anything to the coach. That's the sort of coach he was. He was a man of few words. He'd just say a command, and you had to do it. And remember, we're all trying to make the cut, okay? He's, which he keeps reminding us of, too, that he's only picking 28 men. And there's a whole bunch there, right? And so what do you say? You just 
do, right? And so we start running, but you can hear a little grumbling. It's like, that's impossible. <laughs> and like, which doesn't help, right, to hear the grumbling. And of course, you're already thinking it yourself. And we're making it uh, through this. And I'm already dying. We're, we're about to finish up one, and I'm picturing 27 more of these. It is so exhausting to the point where you're just dreaming of flopping to the ground and you're just like nestling into the grass and acting like you're dead. You know, maybe I am dead. Maybe I'm not even living anymore. You're going through all sorts of psychological challenge and we're on one. Now, when we're about halfway through two, people start faking injuries. And one of the All-Americans on the team fakes an injury. I mean, you could say, how do you know he was faking it? because I was thinking of faking an injury too about the same time. <laughs> I mean, it makes total sense. An ankle sprain right about now would make sense. I mean, hey, I'm, you know, oops, oh no, ooh, ooh. I mean, and there were about three or four guys, college level sports that had faked an injury by now. And again, I'm in this test, this exact zone of time where I am having the, the voice saying, you can't keep going. My body is like just, I don't know what it feels like, I don't even wanna revisit that, that feeling, but it was, I just have a placeholder in my memory that is about as bad as I've ever felt physically in my life. And it was right about that point when I was about to, you know, fake twisting an ankle, that the coach blew his whistle and said, enough, come in. And it, it was all a psychological test. This coach was like famous for these, okay? We had another one where he had us run around this huge, it was the baseball diamond. It's like a three quarters of a mile distance. And so we'd run it and we got done and that's usually the end of practice. So we finished, like, whew, whew. and he goes, not fast enough. And he blows his whistle. We're looking around, we're like, what in the world? And he has a stopwatch. We're like, oh, we better get going again. So we just finished up practice, and practices are not easy. And we just finished up a three-quarter mile run at a very fast clip, and he just blows his whistle. So we run this whole thing, we finish, and he's looking at his watch, and he goes, not fast enough. Tweet. Blows his whistle again. Are you serious? <laughs> so I've had many of these moments just at this one little time called training camp in my freshman year. And yet, what I learned in and through that is, in a sense, life is sort of like that. And it's like, who is going to keep standing? Those that keep standing, in a sense, make the team. What God is looking for are those that don't give up. Those that keep going even when the crazy coach keeps blowing his whistle. The danger zone. The danger zone in our life is the moment we begin to actively ponder excuses, escapes, and avenues of retreat. We've joked at Ellerslie over the years of the different retreat or the escape pods that we imagine in our minds. Like mine for a whole season was uh, New Zealand. And uh, what's funny is now the New Zealanders, because of all the COVID stuff, have been wanting to come to America. I'm like, maybe New Zealand isn't the best escape pod anymore. However, you oftentimes will psychologically do this. And we all had them on our team. And the key is that you cannot foster that thought. In other words, you cannot mature the thought. You cannot add to the thought. The enemy may supply it, but you cannot be hospitable to it. The danger comes in is when you start allowing it in to the living room. It's like, hey, sit down, let's talk. You're talking with an excuse. It's like, okay, let's talk about how we could frame this, of why we couldn't keep going. 
That's exactly what you cannot allow to happen in your soul. You do not negotiate with this stuff. This is a venom in your life. It will destroy your life. It is the anti-direction. God wants you to keep going, but you're like, I can't physically, emotionally keep going through this, God. He's like, who's telling you that? Because I'm telling you that I will give you everything you need to keep going. Who are you going to believe, the lie or the truth? God promises to give you everything you need. The question is, do you believe it? Because when your physical side is complaining, is arguing, is screaming, that is a hard time to keep going, but that is the very moment that is going to prove the essence of your character. The impossibility of divorce. When something is removed from the arena of possibility, it makes it easier to not consider it a viable option. Now, some of you have heard the story that Leslie and I, the, the pastor that married us, he said to us very simply, he's like, I'm sick and tired of marrying people that they, and then they get divorced. It's like, what is a covenant if you don't keep it? He said, so if I'm going to marry anyone from this point forward, they have to sign a legal document that makes it impossible for them to get a divorce. And that's how he started. So we're like, okay, I've never heard of that. And so Leslie and I signed a, some legal documents that made it clear we cannot legally get a divorce. We can go through mediation. We can't go through any divorce proceedings. Now, if you ask me where that document is, I have no idea. And if you asked me if I ever tried to pursue divorce, if some like a, a arm of the law would come out and go, you can't do that, I, I doubt that someone out there knows about this, right? But it's interesting because Leslie and I started our marriage with this as a premise. Divorce is impossible for us. It is not an option. Now, when you remove divorce as an option, do you know that you do not allow it to sneak in in those moments of difficulty? Because it's not an option, legally. Isn't that a fascinating statement? So I'm saying that was a gift to us, and it's always been a gift to us. And what it trained us is to not allow those types of thoughts into the living room. When things get difficult, you don't entertain the enemy. And the same is true when you physically, emotionally, and spiritually feel thin. When you begin to thin out, this is the moment the second wind is designed for. However, you only experience the second wind if you press through, knowing it's going to come. You need to have a confidence that God will back you up. If you don't have that, then physically you begin to deteriorate. So I'm going to say the impossibility of ekekeo. See, look at that. It takes me twice to get it each time, but it's not bad. It's better than three times. What about just removing it from the table? What if it was impossible for you to do this? What if legally you knew you couldn't even go there? You couldn't even entertain it. What if you removed it from the table? You cannot give up. It's not an option. You know, all growing up, I didn't know that I could return uh, clothes after I, I bought them or was given them at Christmas. And so guess what? I never did. You know, it's actually a nice feature if you think about it, to, know, to, to think that something isn't possible removes it from the table as far as consideration. And as far as for us as believers, we have a commission. We have a job to do. We have a race to run. What if we remove the option of giving up off the table? 
What if we cannot do that? I'm not saying you physically couldn't. I'm saying in your resolve, in your will, you have already pre-decided to finish this race. I'm going this direction. What if it gets hard? What if it gets difficult, Eric? Well, I'm going to keep running. What if it's like the desert just never ends? I'm going to keep running. Well, how can you keep running? Well, I know that God's going to supply everything I need to keep running. See, my confidence doesn't rest in Eric's athletic ability. My confidence rests in this spiritual second wind. That when I begin to grow thin and when I grow weak, my God proves his strength. And that is the marvel of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it encounters our lives here. Ekekeo. Oh, I want to get it on the first time on, on a new slide. That's my, my thing now. My goal is to get it the first time on the new slide, okay? If I've already been on that slide, then I get sort of... Is that right? Ekekeo? Okay, all right. Boy, that was like five times. Ekekeo is cultivate. Okay, now I need to say it properly. Ekekeo. Oh, Ekekeo is cultivated action. The cultivated action of giving up, of letting go, of walking away, of escaping difficulty, of turning off the noise. You see, you can foster this behavior in your soul where you just give up real easily. You know the, the, the type of thing where you walk out of a room and slam a door when you don't like something? You give up too quickly on things. In other words, yes, the heat turns up, the challenge turns up, but emotionally, when you start giving way too quickly, well, that leads to quick exit, if that makes sense, from a challenge. I understand the challenge. I understand when the heat turns up why we do things. Don't get me wrong. I understand the human side of all of this, of giving up. It makes total sense to me experientially. However, what if you had a different mindset? What if you allowed God to reset you? What if you allowed God to establish new patterns inside of you? The four ingredients of the AE mixture. You guys ready? See, we've been waiting a long time for this AE mixture. The first one is hope. You see, when you are running and you're flagging and you're losing the energy and the strength, you have to have a sense of hope. See, when I was running uh, in soccer uh, in that first day uphill, three and a half miles, you know, and I had to make it under 42 minutes in that second, uh, you know, that six mile run, uh, it was a seven mile run. Right? Seven mile run, 42 minutes. You get my math correct on this. But in that second three and a half miles, I didn't have hope <laughs> because when his alarm is going off, I mean, what? That was my, I had to make it by this time. And so that was very defeating. And I wanted to die. That was the best description. I wanted to die just right there. It's like, who cares if Eric Ludi has no future? If I can't make this team, how embarrassing is that? I just want to die, right? It was a terrible emotional processing and psychological processing of it. But it's because I didn't have hope. It's an interesting elixir when you have hope. When you have hope, it does something for you. And hope is just the knowledge that that this can change, that something better awaits, that the days to come are good and they're marked by the presence of God. Our hope truly is Jesus Christ, but then fully as a church is being with Jesus Christ forever and always in his presence. We typically call it heaven. However, our, our understanding, our hope is that he wins. Our hope is that he comes. Our hope is that we have him 
You see, if you lose that, then it's very difficult to keep going. This is, this is one of the ingredients in the anti-venom. The propensity to seek hope the wrong way. So all of us in a dark moment, and let, let's say for me, I've had so many financially challenging circumstances with Ellerslie, where I cannot in my own mind figure out a way through this. Like, because what I do is I typically want to, and you'll see it on the screen, brainstorming a solution. I am a world-class, Olympic-level brainstormer. I'm very good at brainstorming. However, brainstorming has a value, but it's limited. And in a time when I have a crisis, for me to turn to my brainstorming powers is a propensity. However, what I have to do in that time is not turn to my brainstorming. I can easily do it, and I have done it many times in the past. God's had to work on me on that exact issue. Because what I'm looking for is hope. But what I want is a humanly generated hope. I want to think through, it's like, okay, this could happen, this could happen, which could release these dollars here, which could then move it over here. And then, oh, okay, that could work, even though it's a 1% chance of you know, working. It's like, I don't care. That gives me hope. And God has had to put his finger on my little man-contrived hope and say, what is that? It's like, well, it's a placeholder until you sort of kick in. It's like, Eric, how about you just trust that I will kick in, and that gives you hope? It's like, well, that sounds dangerous. What if you didn't? He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is that even an option, Eric? Is it an option that I wouldn't kick in, that I won't give you the second wind? No, you will. He's like, that's right. So your hope needs to be founded not in your brainstormed solutions, but in my character, in my nature, in my promise. And so when we fix our hope on him, we will never be disappointed. Let me just put it that way. But that's a key ingredient to the AE mixture. Listen to David in Psalm 39.7. My hope is in you. My hope isn't in my plans. My hope isn't in my schemes. My hope isn't in my ability. My hope is in my God. He will do it. Number two, the second ingredient out of four in the AE mixture, faith. I know these are not shocking ingredients where you're like, wow, I've never heard these before. This is the dogged resolution to grab a hold of God and not let go. It's like the Jacob wrestling with God in, at Peniel in the dark of the night. When the circumstances say, let go, give up, I will not let go. I will not let go because you are the only one that can supply for my circumstances what I need. And that is called trust. We put our trust in the living God and we will not relent. We will not let go because we have a hope in his character. His character is good. So we hold on to him. We put our confidence in him and we will not be disappointed. We will not be put to shame. You combine hope and faith and it's a powerful, powerful tool. But there's a few more things for that runner that is starting to flag. It's important to go, God is going to give me a second win. But there's another key that I want to, uh, to weave in. So here's some great statements about faith in Psalm 18. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. So when you are in that moment where you feel like, oh, it's so hard to keep going, to put your faith in him 
Now, you could say to put your faith in the Word of God, which would be an accurate statement, but the Word of God is more than text. It is a person. And you're putting your confidence in that person. And as a result, you know He will do it. If He promises to be strength to you, then you rely on that strength. If he declares that he will be provision for you, that he has seen this situation before you arrived, he will provide. It is a guarantee. He is a constant. You are the variable. Are you going to fix yourself to him? He has said it. Will he not do it? Number three, who is expecting this one? Joy. You see, in this AE mixture... Faith, well, hope and faith, but you mix in joy, and it's sort of like you know having some oil and then sticking, you know, lighting a match and throwing it on top. It creates the propulsion. You see, when you in that dark moment choose to rejoice, why? Why would you rejoice? Because you have hope and you have faith. And if you know God is going to give you that propulsion, you might as well shout it to the rooftops. You see, this is how the Christian soul works. We work off of that hope and faith, and it leads to a real action, which is called rejoicing. Rejoicing for many of us is supposed to be a feeling that follows a good turn in our life. When God says and asks us to rejoice, even when we're in the worst of circumstances, even when we're running and our body is full of lactic acid and we can't imagine going another foot, He says, rejoice. Do you not know? Do you not believe that I will come through, that I will give you everything you need to finish this race? I do. Then rejoice. Thank you, Lord. I rejoice in you for you are faithful. You take all the enemy means for evil. You turn it to good for those that love you and are called according to your purposes. We set out our singers in front of us as we run. And as a result, this creates a dynamic in our soul and in the world in which we live. It's a weapon of warfare that is mighty to the pulling down of strongholds when a believer keeps going. In fact, the jet engines begin to kick into gear as they're going. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Who would have ever guessed that joy could be like a propulsion to the soul? You see, so many of us have a wrong concept. Our happiness meter has always kicked in when something good happened for us. So we think that that emotion is something we're after, when in actuality, it's not the emotion, it is the declaration. The feelings follow our faith. So when our faith is fixed and we rejoice, it causes the flush of real feeling, of joy and satisfaction to come. However, it is something that follows faith. And number four, patience. You see, patience doesn't sound like a very dramatic thing, but this is that perseverance, that tensile strength, that resilience, that this is what's also mixed in. The Bible calls it patience, hupomeno. And it doesn't, you know, it sounds like waiting in front of a microwave and not complaining. It's like, this is taking forever. No, be patient. My mom always you know, said to be patient when I was you know, waiting at church, and she was the last one to leave. And I was like, could we just leave? And she's like, be patient, honey. Patience is a virtue, is what she would say. 
And how most of us think that patience is for little kids as a result. Instead of recognizing that patience is the essence of what a martyr, one that dies for Christ, one that's hanging on a cross because of their faith, one that's in a prison cell because of their faith. What do they have that enables them to go through that? They have hope, they have faith, they have joy, and they have patience. Patience is the unbreakability of the soul. It will not melt in a time of heat. It stands strong. Everything else in the life may melt away, but that resolve stands strong. Patience is something that is cultivated through trial, through tribulation, through difficulty. When we respond in hope, faith, and joy, it grows up the patience. So as a result, we can face our difficulties. Any cross that we have to bear with that same hope, with that same faith, and with that same joy, and with that resolution that God has been establishing over our life because he tries us with small crosses and he's growing us up to adult crosses. And if we allow him to grow us up on that cross, we can have a joy set before us that enables us to endure. We will be given all that we need. It talk, talks about the patience of Job it's like, isn't that funny if you were to say, what does Job need to actually keep going, to not flag, to not give up, to not just bow down and curse God? What does he need? Well, he needs the AE mixture. What he needs is hope. He needs faith. He needs joy. He needs patience. He needs that which enables a soul to endure in a time of trial, to keep going when the rest of the world is saying, give up. I cannot. I will not give up. We keep running and running and running. Colossians 1, 9 through 11. We do not cease to pray for you, says Paul, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing and being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Listen to this. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. What have we been supplied? All might, according to his glorious power, for all patience, that means enduring all of those moments when you feel like you're ready to give up. You've been given all of it, everything that's needed, so that you can go through whatever length of desert it is that's long-suffering. You don't know how long it goes. It's long but you can go through this with joy. What is needed for that? I'm just gonna say it simply, the AE mixture, the anti-venom, that which responds back to the movement of the enemy to say, give up, it says, not on your life. This is my thrill, this is my privilege, this is the runner's high. You see, we are not just physical beings, we are spiritual ones. And what we see in the physical makeup that the endorphins, that the oxygen levels increase. Whatever the theory might be, what we know in spiritual life is that God gives us everything we need and is truly pleasurable to run this race and to keep on running. We are not actually to be mourned over or to be you know, patted on the back and say, I'm just so sorry that you've been called to the Christian life. We are the most privileged of men and women on earth. We have access to the treasury of joy, of eternal happiness, the very intimate closeness and presence with the Most High God. Don't feel sorry for us. 
But there are times in this natural body, in this natural realm, where that becomes hazy and we can forget. We can forget our inheritance. We can forget the privilege of our calling. And the enemy whispers his voice with his voice and he starts talking about how we deserve better or we could have something easier. And he wants us to stop the run. Remove that option from the table. You have a calling on your life. And even though you might feel thin, you might feel frail, fragile, and weak right now, the second wind will come. The four ingredients of the AE mixture, hope, faith, joy, and patience. So this is the end of that verse I read. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Another term for the AE mixture, just sort of a synonym for our time together today, the smile. You see, when you live your life as a Christian, doesn't matter what's hitting you, we should be like golden retrievers. You know, they're just always happy when their owner comes home, and they are just ready to greet them. And that's the same way with us. No matter what challenge comes our way, when we receive it as if it's our owner, God Almighty, as if he's bringing us a bowl of chow, we just wag our tail. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing opportunity. The smile is the way we wag our tail. It's the way we show our satisfaction. All is good down here. All is fine in the soul of Eric Ludi. I have a smile on my face, and if you knew the circumstances that I might be walking through, you'd wonder how that smile is on my face. But that's a supernatural smile. That's not a smile because of ease. That's a smile because of trust, confidence, hope. My God is faithful. He will not fail. Watch what my God will do. Proverbs 31.25, speaking of the virtuous woman, but also could be likened to the bride of Christ. She smiles at the future. Do you imagine you've been running through a desert and you've continued to run and you're running some more and you're going to smile at the days to come? You're going to smile at the future? Yeah, that's the virtuous woman. Same word that's used for David's mighty men. The woman of valor, the woman of strength. You see, this athlete smiles at the upcoming miles and miles of desert because there's a propulsion. I, I think of one of those movies where some guy is like in a race car or on the back of a motorcycle and he just is like, woo, woo, as he's going fast. Yeah, kind of like that. That's the Christian life. It's like you do know that's rather dangerous. They're not even wearing a helmet. Yes, the Christian life is very dangerous and it could cost us our lives, but you might as well get a few woos out of it on the way because there's some great propulsion in the second wind. A secret for enduring torture. Did you know that Richard Wormbrandt teaches? You know, he, he suffered uh, in prison. What was the amount of time? 17 years? Is that what you said last time? 14 years. And extreme torture in prison in Romania. And one of the things he said is that the prisoners learned to smile. He says, because frowning takes around, it, like, it depletes the body of energy. It like, demands like 39 muscles to be working hard to frown. And you need to sustain your energy. And so the great secret for a prisoner is to smile. I thought that is one of the most brilliant statements I've ever heard, and it sounds God brilliant too. 
that actually he's telling us to rejoice. He's like, hey, I'm trying to help you through prison right now, and you're frowning. What are you doing that for? It's depleting all your energy. It's making this harder for you. A secret for an Olympic runner. Did you know that research has shown that strength in running, especially long distances like marathons, one of the secrets for the runners is to smile as they run. Okay, now, isn't that God brilliant right there? Remember, we're called to run a race. And yet, when they dig down into the human makeup and try and figure out how a runner can make it through this, they have this second wind thing they're trying to figure out. We're like, we don't know where this comes from. And they also have this discovery that a runner that smiles uses less energy, has a greater euphoria in the process, a greater satisfaction in the journey. In other words, the guy next to him that frowned might finish the race too, but wow, you could have enjoyed it a lot more <laughs> if you smiled the whole time. Okay, guys, I don't know if you're getting a cue for your spiritual life and how we should run our race, but I think that if we started smiling in the difficulty when everything starts to wear and the lactic acid is pumping into our body, like, God, oh, I can't go, and God says, uh, where's that smile again? Remember, that's how you make it through this. God will give the second wind. He will give the propulsion. He will give the grace that you need. He has promised that, and he is faithful. But in the meantime, you might want to consider smiling. Olympic marathon gold medalist, I wish I could pronounce his name, Eliud Kiprogi. I know someone out there that's like a running fanatic is like, that was the worst pronunciation I have ever heard. I have never seen his name before, but I did think it was fascinating. Olympic marathon gold medalist, why did I start at the beginning of this one? Eliad, Iliad, I don't know how to pronounce his first name even, Kipchoge, strategically smiles while running in order to aid his athletic performance. We're talking about the marathon gold medalist. What's his secret? Smiling. Okay, guys, when someone comes to you and asks you what your great secret is for making it through this life, to run through that long desert, are you ready to give the right answer? You don't need to say the AE mixture, even though that could sound rather you know, intelligent. You could just say it's a spiritual smile because that's what it is. It's a smile down in here, not just on this face, even though I'm going to encourage you to use this face because this face showcases what's going on inside of here. But it's a smile deep down. It's not false. It's not fake. It's not contrived. It's very real and genuine. Maybe we should be strategically smiling too. Father, I ask that you would... Work wonders in our midst right now. For those of us that feel thin, that feel weak, that feel broken down, I pray that you would infuse us with that second wind. Lord, that you would provide that fresh kick in our step. And Lord Jesus, you would put us back into stride. Lord, we want to remove from off the table the option of stopping, the option of giving up. We belong to you. You have assigned us this commission, this race. And we want to run it for your glory with a smile all over our soul. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellersley.com. 
We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.